Welcome to another episode of Catch Weight. We are now in March. 2021 is flying by and we still have the pound for pound king on top of it all. Saul Canelo Alvarez cemented his greatness once again, not necessarily against this sort of opponent, but proving that he is just on a different level, demolishing Avni Yildirim in Miami in three rounds to defend his super middleweight crowns and it more importantly set up that crucial that huge fight, that unification bout with Billy Joe Saunders, which has now been announced for May. We're going to break that down along with the UFC card. There's also some other boxing on. And we've also got another new WWE champion, all on episode 13 of Catchweight. So all eyes were on sunny Miami, Florida on Saturday night. Canelo Alvarez headlining the first ever boxing show at the Hard Rock Stadium. Canelo did bring the show. He brought all the theatrics with him. There was fireworks, a performance from Jay Balvin, a guy on his BMX that I believe fell over at one point. I think the camera's just caught that. I feel like they were stalling this fight for at least half an hour after the co-main event finished. But nonetheless, Canelo gets into the ring. Avni Yildirim, who is already nervous for the fight of his life, already tense, has to wait seven minutes whilst Jay Bolvin performs. And then he starts patiently in the first round, but it quickly becomes evident that he is not on the level of Canelo. Canelo begins to walk him down, holding the centre of the ring throughout the fight, peppering him with jabs, trying the left hook a lot rarely making any mistakes. Yildrim was employing that high, tight guard. Canelo's shots were landing on the gloves, but they were still stumbling and backing up Yildrim. And it was similar for the first two rounds. In the third round, Canelo steps out into range and lands a crisp 1-2 that just sends Yildrim down. He's able to recover and see it to the end of the round, but Joel Diaz, the head trainer of Yildrim, mercifully and rightfully, I would say, stops the fight. For me, Yildirim's best chance of winning this fight was to go in with an approach that he would kill or be killed, go out all gun swinging, but with Canelo's defensive acumen and obviously his punch power, it is kind of difficult to get your shots going and even get into any rhythm, and by the third round, when he was knocked down, there was literally no route for him to get through the fight, so Diaz and the team did the right move by pulling Yildirim out. It's always makes you think, you know, could he continue, could we have a miracle, but it's just not worth it. I also did see a lot of slander for the Canelo opponent choice. But when you think about it, it was a mandatory at first. And he's having a fight in May. He could have easily just waited for May to fight Saunders or could have fought Yildrim. But he decided to get the mandatory out of the way on an eight-week turnaround and now get ready for Saunders. So I think you can only applaud that. The level Canelo is at, he is going to build a legacy. He is chasing those legacy fights and those legacy accomplishments. Now he's trying to unify the super midweight division and we'll see what's next. Saunders is a very interesting fight. He presents another interesting challenge, but there remain a lot of questions about him. I think this is a thing when you have an unbeaten fighter with some names on the resume, but still not a lot of names or a lot of moments where they've really been tested. So we don't really know how good the punch resistance and the chin of Saunders is. We don't really know how good he will be able to do in a 12-round war if it comes to it. We don't really know how he'll be able to stay patient or if he has the fitness to deal with Canelo. There's a lot of questions here. But he's going to have to bring out the performance of a lifetime to really put something on Canelo and frustrate him. I think everyone is agreeing here that the best route for Saunders is to frustrate Canelo and win a decision. Firstly, he's going to have to really win a wide decision because Canelo does have the judges in his favour. Let's look at the Triple G first fight. But not a knock on him, just a knock on his brand and his power in the boxing world. But it is an interesting fight. It's a big fight. Unification. Kinko de Mayo weekend. Another stylistic Interesting matchup for Canelo, another puzzle for him to crack. We all thought Callum Smith would put up the challenge, but Canelo pretty much outclassed him. Will we see a similar result, or is Saunders going to be the guy that can break this puzzle and 
He'll have to probably follow in the Floyd Mayweather model. Easier said than done. Much easier said than done, however. At the moment, though, in terms of boxing, with Joshua Fury yet to be announced, that is fight of the year for me at the moment. It's a huge fight. Canelo against Saunders. Saunders, another British foe, trying to do better than his countrymen. The long list of British countrymen that have fallen in Canelo's path recently. May 8th. Circle your calendars, everyone. It's going to be a fun ride. But before we move on, one more point on Neil Durham. He was coming off a loss. I believe this was more of a flaw of the whole mandatory challenger system than Canelo picking or cherry picking an opponent. I don't know why he was put in the mandatory position. I think this is still a problem with the sport of boxing. Many commissions just throw a mandatory out there just to get some more clout, I feel, sometimes. And, of course, this is just one of the many frustrations of boxing. Of course, Canelo's comments recently this week as well about having one belt per division. That would be a dream, but I can't see that happening anytime soon. There's just too much politics, but this is the sort of subject we can go on and on about for days. There's no point, no point wasting our breath about it. The weekend's boxing action actually started down under in Auckland. We had Junior Farr taking on Joseph Parker at a crowd-filled, I believe an attendance of 8,000 were present for the heavyweight fight. Largely uneventful, a lot of clinching. Towards the end it did pick up, and it was Joseph Parker who scored the unanimous decision victory. One card scored it 119-109 in favour of Parker, which I believe was criminal. I think Junior Farr did well. He was probably unlucky not to get the decision. Could have gone either way. But I think he would look back to a lot of his tactics in the fight, a lot of the holding and a lot of the grabbing that really just prevented him from taking a win on the day. It would have been a big, big scalp to take by defeating the former world champion Parker on his own rise. But it goes to show Parker remains very durable, very near the upper echelon. I don't know, I wouldn't say he's up there with Joshua and Fury. We've seen that before, but he does operate underneath and he will probably will do for some time now. I think he'll continue to try and chase that world title shot. But again, he will also need better performances than he did on Saturday morning. It's likely that he'll take on Derek Chisora in the next outing, which will be a fun fight, a rescheduled fight. A lot of people have been waiting for that one. But of course, you think Parker, I believe he could outsmart Chisora. But if he engages in a war, which he does tend to sometimes, it could be a hindrance to him and his quest to try and regain that WBO or whatever World Heavyweight title he's after. I think you should also take a look at possibly Usyk and Joyce, the winner of that fight, should there be some mess in the Joshua Fury situation, which is almost inevitable in the top of the pecking order. We also had a Showtime card. It was a title eliminator for Anthony Durrell, returning from that stoppage loss to David Benavidez way back in 2019, which feels like a lifetime ago now, considering we were in March 2021. And it didn't really go to plan. He ended with a draw against... Kyron Davis, a competitive fight, a close one, but one which showed that Durrell may need a bit more effort and a bit more tricks in the bag to try and chase that elusive third world title. He looked a bit off the pace and a, a little surprised by the how stern the challenge of Davis was. With that being said, I did think he won the fight narrowly. I would have to watch it again just to confirm that. Either way though, he'll need a lot more to challenge the elite of the division. Okay, that's enough for boxing. We're going to head to the UFC card now. We had an intriguing heavyweight main event between Cyril Garn and Jarzino of Rosenstrike. It ends with the Frenchman Garn staying undefeated, keeping his perfect professional record with a unanimous decision win. It was tactical, to put in fairer terms. Not many people found it entertaining. 
but Garn did what he had to do to avoid the power shots of Rosenstrike and keep himself really in the elite now of the heavyweight division. Of course, we've got Stipe and Ngannou fighting at the end of this month. John Jones waiting in the wings for the winner. But Cyril Garn will now be in the conversation about a future challenge down the line. And he's proven that he will be a tactical, interesting matchup for whoever gets in there with him. He showed patience. A lot of people thought he didn't show enough urgency, but I thought that should be on Josino Rosenstrike, who just almost checked out at some points in the fight. He didn't really seem interested or I'll say that might be a bit unfair, but he didn't really seem like he had enough to back Garnet up and he didn't really want to take the risk. And of course, Garnet didn't want to take the risk because he was building a steady lead and it was a healthy shutout performance at the end. Not the most exciting of matchups, but Garnet did prove that he's skilled and he's up there with the heavyweight elite. He's got the striking credentials and the game planning abilities to win the fight, be it five rounds drawn out. UFC president Dana White was a bit critical of... Cyril Garn after the fight as well, comparing what he did against Rosenstrike to how Nganu came through and destroyed him within a few seconds. I thought it was a bit of unfair criticism. Garne and Nganu are very different strikers. Nganu is more of a power puncher. Garne is more of a kickboxer and someone who can outscore people, but he has that power as well. Garne took it on the chin. He didn't take Rosenstrike's shots on the chin because he was away from them. And that's the point here. He could have easily put on the gas and left his chin out in the air and got hit by Rosenstrike, who had power. Look what we saw against Overeem. Overeem doing well in the fight until the fifth round he gets destroyed and his lip is hanging off his face. So tactically it was sound from Garnet. Criticism, yes, but of course you're going to come across that. Not every performance is going to be one where you blow the opponent out of the water. He did just stop Junior Dos Santos. He shows at that level he can still knock people out, but... Again, when you're facing the power against Rosenstrike, you've got to intelligently game plan your fights. Of course, it's not always pretty, but it doesn't always have to be if you're getting the win. And now he's propelling himself into the, into the top five. Now, I'm sure he doesn't want to wait about for a title shot because he could be waiting quite a while, especially if Stipe defeats Ngannou. Stipe does tend to take a lot more time in between fights. And of course, that John Jones fight will probably take its time to materialise. I think Garnet has a couple of opponents in mind. There could be Derek Lewis... There could be Alexander Volkov. One of those two, if they don't fight each other, would be an interesting matchup. But you could also make a case for a Blades fight, considering Blades was on quite a run before Derek Lewis launched him into oblivion with that uppercut. An interesting fight. I think that will favour Garn more in the fact that he can test his takedown defence and he will have the striking advantage on defeat. But another one I could throw out there, which probably won't make much sense in terms of rankings, but perhaps for the stylistic matchup, is Overeem. If Overeem does want to have another fight, I think it'll be a fun one, him against Nganu, just a straight kickboxing contest. You never know, Overeem could wrestle. Garnet still showed them elements of wrestling ability as well. So that's another fun fight. I think Garnet will want to keep himself occupied now. He had a bit of a layoff between his last fight and the UFC 256 outing against Juno Dos Santos. So he'll want to stay active now. And there's a lot of heavyweights for the taking. Magomed Ankalev moving on up in the light heavyweight division. He scored a... Unanimous decision win over Nikita Krylov in the co-main event. Ankalev's striking looked crisp. His footwork looked excellent. Again, this is a name to look out for in the light heavyweight division. Another impressive performance for him. But on a mainly uneventful night, to put in nicer terms, the fight of the night definitely has to go to Jimmy Rivera and Pedro Munoz. For the second time, they went at it, and it was three more rounds of everything, really. A high-paced fight. Both of them brought it. And I'd love to see a third fight with them. Munoz, of course, bouncing back from that Lost to Frankie Edgar, 
But he's another name to keep your eye out for in the bantamweight division. A lot of these smaller weight fighters just continue to improve and improve. And we don't know just their ceiling. At any point, it just continues to grow. So there's a lot of fun names to look out for. But keep an eye out for Pedro Munoz. Of course, he's had his up and down. Of course, losing to Sterling. And then Edgar didn't really help his case. But of course, you're only a few wins away from relevance and perhaps a title shot in the bantamweight division. So this podcast was supposed to be released on the Monday. But of course, I saw that there was a WWE title match on Raw. So I decided just to wait for that result and react to it. And the final result is in. Bobby Lashley defeats The Miz. Absolutely squashes The Miz in a lumberjack match in the main event of WWE Raw. And for the first time in his 15-year WWE career, he is WWE Champion. A great achievement, a great moment for Lashley. A great run and a great push that they're giving him. And it's likely now that it will carry the belt into the grandest stage of them all, WrestleMania. Perhaps against Drew McIntyre. There was a bit of a theme going on throughout the show that The Miz was trying to evade the match through whatever means necessary. Management got involved and they enforced the match in the final hour of the show and Lashley just squashed him, basically. They've been building up Lashley now to be a big name, to be a big force to be reckoned with. At one point, I thought they would have put him against Brock Lesnar, but I don't think anyone wants to see Brock Lesnar right now. Maybe besides me, I still enjoy his matches or at least his presence in the industry. Anyway, Lashley absolutely squashes the Miz and claims the title. So now we have the tag team champions, MVP and Bobby Lashley, the WWE champion, all on one stable. The Hurt Business are really doing bits now going into WrestleMania. And what a moment it is for Lashley. I did expect them to give the Miz more time. I'm not sure why so many people were eager. It's not often that you see a lot of people not complaining about an outcome for a WWE match or a big decision like this. But I really didn't see many people piping up about the Miz losing his title after, what, eight days. I'm guessing they didn't like him much. I thought he deserved the title run after how he was performing. But of course, WWE had different plans. And I suppose Bobby Lashley versus Drew McIntyre could perhaps be the bigger matchup on paper if they want that big WrestleMania marquee fight. Drew McIntyre, of course, fought a powerhouse last year in WrestleMania, which was in the Performance Centre. And he's got his hands on another one this time with perhaps a crowd in present. I haven't really seen much information about that. Maybe I'm just being oblivious to what's going on. But I think this is a good match to have in front of crowds and maybe this will be Drew McIntyre's crowning moment beating another big force to be reckoned with in Bobby Lashley. So I think that's it. Another concise one. Like I said, if there's not much to be said, we don't say much. That is how it goes on Catchweight. Just a quick shout out to my Twitter at NIS4R. That's just my name. I had a tweet about a WWE throwback. It is getting quite a few... Retweets here, so obviously the fame's getting to my head a bit. I'm surprised not more people have been calling me for collaborations and interviews and things like that. But of course, fame is a hard thing to deal with. Well, I'm only joking there. But of course, check my Twitter out if you want to see that tweet. And of course, I'm going to just try and capitalise on this clout now. That's what you must do. Anyway, just a little plug for my Twitter. Anyway, thank you all for joining me for episode 13 of Catchweight. We'll be back very, very soon with more coverage from the whole world of combat sports and beyond. Take care.